Hello, movie fans. Dimitri Panos here for Anatomy of the Movie of, of, of the Popcorn Talk Network, where today we're going to uh, take a trip to Manchester by the Sea. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Well, hello again, and this is Dimitri of Anatomy of a Movie, part of the Popcorn Talk Network. Joined by my lovely, beautiful co-host today, Emily. Hi. We're together again. Yes, How I exciting. know. This is becoming a thing. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, enjoy having you. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, and as I said, today we will be taking a trip uh, up Route 1, going past Beverly, going through Danvers and Beverly, going through Essex, and landing at Manchester-by-the-Sea today. Um as we open up uh, our shows, we always start off with thoughts, opinions, before we really break down and get into the movie. So, uh, I will start with you. Yes. What did I, you think? I liked this movie, um, and I'm somebody who uh, likes happy endings at the end of movies. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that likes everything to just kind of be tied up very nicely. So, when this film ended, and it wasn't necessarily like that, it kind of shocked me. I wasn't expecting it. Um, but then I had to be reminded that this film sort of represents life in its truest, truest form. And life isn't always perfect. It doesn't always end neatly and nicely the way you want it to. Yeah. So I thought it was a really great film. I thought the acting was excellent. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Well, you know, it's uh, uh, I, I have a quote from writer-director Kenneth Lonergan. Um, so and I'm going to get into that uh, just to talk about mm-hmm. what you said. Um, you know, for me, this movie for me is literally one of the best movies of the year mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, it is a heavy movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it is steeped in depressing tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also found that there was humor in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that Casey Affleck's performance was amazing mm-hmm. uh like so um, i i believe that not only do i think he's a shoe-in to get a a, a nomination mm-hmm. uh for the academy awards yeah, uh, i believe that if things continue uh he could potentially walk away with a little gold statuette yeah. uh, i think he was that strong of a performance with that said i think the supporting cast including michelle williams they were Amazing. Uh, everybody else is amazing. W- what I really loved about this too is that nobody like chewed up the scenery. Yeah, it was all very subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey Affleck, the way he would avert his eyes from talking to somebody or feel uncomfortable or show his eyes where you could see anger, and Michelle Williams, you know, the same way. Mm-hmm. That's what I really loved about this, too, that nobody here in this movie, it would have been out of place. Nobody, like, really chewed up the scenery. And, you know, and I also think that, you know, through its subtleness, it was a subtleness that sort of kind of punched you in the gut. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I think one of the best scenes I've seen in movies this year was a scene between Michelle Williams and Casey Affleck. Mm -hmm. And the way that it plays out, I mean, good God. Uh, yeah. really an amazing emotional 
scene that that just is so heavy as well but the way that it's played out was fantastic uh and, and like i said i think the film is not without its humor uh yeah. if anything i learned is that uh uh, sarcasm said with a Boston accent is funnier. <laughs> so you're going to hear a lot of Boston accent uh, here. And plus, I, I have to throw this in, in here. Any movie, regardless of whether it's depressing, tragic, or whatever, that spends at least 10 minutes talking of the awesome merits of Star Trek. <laughs> uh, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Like, you know, so, um, you know, and going into this quote about what you said, yes, this is a movie. Uh, that doesn't necessarily end with you know a character arc or such. It ends nicely, right. I think. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the end. You, yeah. For you folks who've been with us, we're very spoilerific, so we will talk about we'll talk about major plot points, twists, and or um, anything mm-hmm. else that happened in the movie. So the end ends with uh, our, our two lead characters. Um, on the back of the, their boat, the fishing boat, out in the sea, fishing. Yeah. So I thought it was tender, sort of kind of set everything up. But, but Lonergan says, I don't like the fact that nowadays it feels like it's not permissible to leave something unresolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, and he goes on to say, I mean, what the fuck is closure? Some people never get that. Some people live with their trauma for years I'm not interested in rubbing it in those people's faces, um, in suffering, or in saying, these are tough facts of life that I know you don't, but I don't like this lie that everybody gets over things that easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people can't get over something major that's happened to them. Why can't they have that movie too? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why can't there be one film about somebody who doesn't magically bounce back? Yeah. That's this movie. Right. And and that's absolutely valid. And I think the thing is, though, when, when we go watch movies, at least for me, and I think I kind of represent the majority of people that, that just like to go to the movies. The reason I go is to kind of forget about, you know, problems or things that are happening. So it's nice to see a movie and at the end things kind of happen nicely. It's like a little uplifting moment. You know, it kind of sets you back on the track like, okay, good. There is good in the world. Everything's going to be okay, you know? And when things like this happen, when you get invested for two hours or however long the movie is in these characters and you're rooting for them, you want them to do well, you want them to succeed, and then they don't necessarily do that, it's hard not to feel like it is a little bit of a letdown, you know? Yeah, so, it, that didn't bother me. Like, and yeah. there are plenty of movies, too, though, throughout history that end yeah. not on a high note. Right. And, and you know, I know we are living in times where we're, we're, we're expecting that, much like mm-hmm. uh, Lonergan had said. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, straight up, I was dreading to go into this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard that this movie was very depressing. Yeah. And quite honestly... Don't need that in my life right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to take one for the team. You know, and I had heard that it was a very good movie. Mm-hmm. So I went to a landmark theater. Mm-hmm. I sat down on my chair. And, and, and I knew very little about this movie other than it involved a family tragedy. Mm-hmm. The One of the theater staff comes in. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're here to see Manchester by the Sea. The runtime of this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. And I sat in my seat and I said, oh, fuck. I go, are you kidding me? I'm going to be bashed over the head with depression for two hours and 20 minutes? 
luckily, I again, I, I don't know. I found it. Maybe I was, I think that it was going to weigh so heavily that I mm-hmm. found it pal- palatable. Yeah. And again, I did think that it was not without humor. Right. I think that, which helped. That helped a lot. I think that the the comedic scenes were my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is a heavy subject, it is a heavy film, but you had these moments where it's like the sarcastic humor, especially between uh Lee and Patrick. Mm-hmm. I I really like those moments. I like the the quote when Patrick comes in and Lee's looking at the guns and he says, you're going to shoot me or you, you know, and just kind of those moments I loved in the film. I thought that if they did not have, if the film did not have those comedic moments, it would have been a completely different film. Oh my God. And you know, it's funny when, uh, that scene that you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, and let, and let's preface this by saying, uh, just a little bit about this story. So, um, we have, uh, uh, Casey Affleck's character, mm-hmm. um, uh, I forget his name. Lee Chandler. Lee, Lee Chandler mm-hmm. uh, uh, gets summoned back to Manchester by the Sea, where he was born, raised, spent most of his life mm-hmm. um, because his brother had passed away. So he's going to come and 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 unbeknownst to him, he finds out through the will that he is now going to be um, uh, looking after his nephew. Mm-hmm. And then through various flashback and chronological order, we see the bond that that Lee and his nephew had while the nephew was growing up. Uh, and then we lead. We also see the tragedy that befell Lee's immediate family, mm-hmm. his wife, kids, uh, a, a horrible, terrible accident leading to um, his kids getting killed, mm-hmm. uh, burned in a fire. So him coming back to Manchester is obviously a hard thing to do. Now he's being saddled that he has to look at, he has to look after his nephew. Um, through a flashback, we saw that scene where, where he was with the fire department mm-hmm. and the police explaining mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, look, it's, it's an accident. Yeah. You know, terrible accidents happen all the time, which really doesn't help the situation, obviously, for Lee's character. And he mm-hmm. gets up. Uh, as he's walking out, he pulls a gun off the cop and tries to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. So later in the movie, when we see those guns, mm-hmm. to me it was a it was a sense of foreboding, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh no!" It's like, <laughs> can this movie get any yeah. more depressing? And the mere fact that the nephew comes in, he goes, "You gonna use that on me or yourself? Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do?" Boom, it cut the tension. Yeah. And then when he turned it around, because I think one of the better parts of this movie, and again, where there was this idea, he goes, do you know how much those guns are worth? Because we could sell those mm-hmm. and fix the motor on the boat. Yeah. And the nephew smiles. I smile, too, because I don't think I could have taken a, like yeah. a suicide movie. Yeah. And it was it was a nice turn that Lonergan had and I really appreciated it. Yeah. Uh I th- I think it kind of showed the growth too of Lee's character, you know. Yes. I, I, that he didn't have obviously like you said this huge arc where at the end he goes, "Oh, everything's great. I'm staying and I'm going to raise Patrick here." You know, obviously that didn't happen, but I think it showed the growth kind of in those two moments with the gun the first time we saw how he tried to commit suicide and then the second time with the guns how he was thinking about okay how can we save this boat what can i do for patrick what can i do for somebody else rather than right. the you know one path of of committing suicide but mm-hmm. on the other hand he's saying i'm using these guns 
to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something to help. Yeah. So I thought it was good growth of his character. It kind of showed us that he did, you know, kind of change a, a little bit. He's, you know, I guess getting better as much as you can say getting better after something like that happens to you. Yeah, and I'll say that that to me is part of, I think there is an arc to his character mm-hmm. because before it was, I'm, I'm going to be your ward. I'm going to be your, I, I you know, I'm going to be your parent now. You're going to move with me into Boston. Mm-hmm. You're going to come into Boston with me, and I'm going to uproot your your life and such. And as the movie progressed, he made it so he didn't have to disrupt mm-hmm. his nephew's life. Yeah. Um, which I, which for him, it was like, listen, I, I want to do what's best by you. Yeah. Patrick or, or Lee realizes, I can't live here. Mm-hmm. And I, from what I for sure un- can understand this, yeah. um, but I'm going to make sure that you're set up, and I'm even going to look for an apartment in Boston that has two bedrooms, mm-hmm. so that you can stay with me. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to be, I'm still going to be a part of your life. I want to be a part of your life, but you, ha- yeah. you know, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that because at the beginning of the movie, he wasn't that man. Right. He Definitely. wasn't that man at all. Um, I guess if I'm going to nitpick at this movie, or maybe it's something that makes the movie a little bit more tragic, is that, wow, I just felt bad that he didn't have any close friends um, mm-hmm. with which, you know, he could lean on, so to speak. When he was in Boston, he really did leave, and it was self-imposed, yeah. obviously, a very solitary life. But also, you know, that boy needs therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we didn't see any point where he attempted to try to get some semblance of help yeah um but it made it sad too that that he didn't have friends to fall on right and and i kind of feel like it showed you know before the fire happened you know all of his friends were there it was a big party scene and in the house you know 15 guys whatever everyone's drinking beer and so it showed that he did have that life before and then after this tragedy he obviously was the one that separated himself from everyone just because I think he detached from life totally. And I think the only person that he, that kind of tethered him to family or to reality was his brother, you know, was kind of the yeah. only person that said like, okay, you know, you're, you're staying here. However, however much I can hold on to you, I'm going to hold on to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of seemed like his brother was the only person that really kind of kept him in reality in some sort because otherwise it would have just been that routine of going to work, going at home, you know, sitting watching TV and that's it. That's all, that was his life. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. I think it was his brother that kept him alive, mm-hmm. you know, and and there was that attachment to particular people. The, the, there were the, you know, the gentleman who um, oversaw the boat mm-hmm. uh, for him. Um, you know, who knew about the boat, who could do with the motor, that eventually ended up taking his nephew in. Yeah. You know, but if the, there's the scene at the hospital, too, that happens early on where he's looking for his brother's regular doctor who mm-hmm. is out on maternity leave. And he was like, well, where is she? Yeah. Like, why? Like, it, I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of this movie that me just just from a personal note that I could compl- that that I was in touch with, mm-hmm. whether you know whether it was being uncomfortable in a social situation or whether you know if you're attached to a particular doctor and that doctor's not there, it's sort of an odd 
feeling mm-hmm. and I got that I got that scene it was very and again it was just a it was a strong scene when you break it down because mm-hmm. it just goes on what we're talking about he tethered on to particular people and when those particular people couldn't be in his life mm-hmm. things sort of kind of unraveled a little yeah. for him you know um so so and and the other the other thing that I found very fascinating about the screenplay and story is that what did he become? He became a handyman. Mm-hmm. He became a person who had to fix things for other people. Mm-hmm. He had to fix their problems. Yeah. Okay. And it was only when those people, if they became belligerent about it, would he like speak up. Yeah. And and again, some of the more humorous parts uh in the movie. Uh but I just found it interesting. He was fixing things for other people where there are things in his life he couldn't fix. Mm-hmm. I found that I found that to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I found that to be an interesting play on the character yeah. himself. And I think it's interesting, too, uh, speaking on that point, that it didn't seem like he had, well, passion for anything. But even when he is fixing things for people, it's like he kind of took it in the attitude of, well, take it or leave it. You know, he'd tell people like, well, you can do this, or if that doesn't work, we'll try this. You know, or you could do it right now, yeah, and, and the it, guy's it, like, well, what do you think I should exactly. do? Exactly. Stop my decision. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, like you're right. He did, he kind of took on this fixer role, but even in that role that he had, he still was not all in, you know, excited about it. Obviously not excited about anything. So, yeah, I think it, it shows a lot about his character yeah. and where he was at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um one of the one of the more humorous part uh, scenes in the movie too is uh, uh, one of those tenants that he's fixing the mm-hmm. apartment for. You overhear a phone conversation where she's oh, yeah. really hot for him, and he's done. He was plunging her toilet, yeah. and he's like, "Okay, all done." She goes, "Can I give you a tip?" And he's like, "Like a suggestion?" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. "She's like, no, like money." He goes, "Uh, okay," yeah. but he was very uncomfortable. And, like, there could have been a connection, but he decided, you know, eyes down, head down, and took the yeah. money and walked out. Yeah. It was really, it was humorous, but at the same time, you know, sad, touching. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the the, um, the the genesis of this entire project. And I think we, you know, I think I would be remiss that a lot of this stemmed from... Lonergan's past movie, uh, which I believe is called Madeline, that he had directed about 10 years ago and was plagued with uh, plagued with lawsuits. The movie was almost taken away from him. He was being sued by one of the producers who said that he was not delivering he was not delivering a movie a releasable movie in the time frame that that producer wanted it. And this movie set I mean he hasn't directed a movie in almost 10 years mm. and it really put him in a stupor in a depression in a in a funk so to speak of something that needed to be you know he needed to overcome at some point in his life uh, because he did feel that it was tragic and what I found very interesting is that when this Manchester by the Sea was starting, its pieces were starting to fall into place. He was actually working on the Blu-ray version of this movie, Madeline, and it was an extended version. It was a version that he wanted to put together originally, and this was, Madeline was a movie that was apparently very close to his heart. It was to be his, like, opus, Mm -hmm. 
and it things just went horribly wrong. I can get how you can get jaded in this town. Yeah. <laughs> it happens, right? But then, you know, these um you know, that that then these people you may have heard of, Matt Damon, John uh yeah, Krasinski, uh they they had worked with Lana Yun in one of his plays and they had thought up an idea of of a man who may not be able to get over a tragedy. Yeah. And they came to him and said, wow, we would love to, like, star in it. We want you to write it. We yes. want you to write it. I'm going to direct it. I think this was Matt Damon wanted to yeah. direct. Yeah. And um, he was like, well, I'll give it a go. Um, you know, I'll give it a crack. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had to find it out. But this this movie took yeah. many years. And so many years, in fact, <laughs> that uh, even Matt Damon says, he goes, well, my, my schedule just started getting filled. Yeah. He goes, I couldn't do it. Krasinski couldn't do it. Um, so he goes, it, it, what, what I found funny is that he goes, uh, you know, then I decided to uh, to give it to, you know, I, I was going to give the role to Casey. I, I donated. It was always like, <laughs> I, you know, he's funny. He goes, I donated the role to Casey. And it was one of those happy accidents that I'm sure Matt Damon would have been fantastic. Yeah. I'm not sure he would have nailed it. I don't think he would. Yeah, looking back on it, you know, because I didn't see a whole lot of press for this film or a whole lot of, um, you know, lead up to it. So I I did know that Matt Damon was involved somehow. I didn't know the extent that he was almost involved in the film. And looking back at it, Casey was absolutely the right choice for this film. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I am such a huge fan of Matt Damon, I will watch anything he's sure. in. I think he's an, an he's excellent a good actor. actor. Yeah, fantastic. But not right for this role. I think no. Casey was the person that should have played this role, and I'm really glad that it, it ended up the way that it did. And yeah, it's just interesting the way things happen. Like Matt was going to direct it and star in it, and you know, and now he just. Was I think an executive producer, one of the producers yeah, on the film? Yeah, but it's very interesting. Um, he he was, yeah, no, he was a producer of the film, but he was a producer who he had it specifically written. He, this is what I, this is what you can appreciate about people like Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to protect his director. Mm-hmm. He actually got final cut. Matt Damon got final cut of the film. For the pure and simple reason that he did not want Lonergan to go through potentially another Madeline situation. Right. He wanted to ensure that that did not happen again. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm going to get final cut. You know, if things get crazy, I'll politely, uh, uh, I'll politely step in mm-hmm. and, and, you know, try to work things out. But he said, you know, much to my, you know, well being and happiness never happened yeah. you know i loved the film gave lonergan anything that he needed and he got the film done yeah. the way he wanted it done and the way he that, that he wrote it and i love that story mm-hmm. you know and i liked that matt wanted to protect the property yeah so that that to me you know he goes you know, he even says, in a bizarre kind of fit of generosity, I gave it up to Casey. And right now, he goes, I wouldn't give this role up to anybody but Casey yeah. Affleck. Yeah, it was and perfect for it. Perfect yeah. for it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like stories like that. Mm-hmm. And with Kenneth Lonergan writing this, too, it took him it took him a three, four years, mm-hmm. 
you know, to, to, to get the script out into something that he liked. And, you know, the other thing that I found fascinating about this movie is its setting. Mm-hmm. I'm from Boston. I live I from a town called Peabody, which is no more but a half hour or so away from Manchester. And I've been to Manchester by the sea. I've been to that area. So it was great seeing that local yeah. flavor. I'm not quite sure this movie could have been filmed or told in any other area. Couldn't be filmed in California, that's for sure. You know, I think that the setting of it being winter, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was very purposeful. Don't have winter out here. You know, this yeah. kind of, this, this this sea town, I think that, you know, everybody being the characters that they are, the only other place, that I, a locale that I can think of might be someplace seafaring town, maybe in upstate New York, mm-hmm. you know. But I think the Man- I think Manchester by the Sea is as much a character uh, in this movie and, and how it plays and being that it was winter. It's not the sunniest of days yeah. um, when you're in the East Coast like that. Right. Well, and I love that. Kenny had mentioned to that point that he was very specific about when they filmed this movie. He wanted it to be filmed showing it going from winter to spring to show the transition of the characters and the... the I guess, growth of the characters. So it was filmed, I believe, February uh, 2015 through May of 2015. So obviously those moments when the characters are just starting out and we see all the despair was filmed in winter, you know, and showing at the end how it kind of ends in spring. You see them fishing off the back of the boat, not in heavy coats or freezing, you know, so it kind of showed showed the growth of the characters. I could see this um, being shot in other areas just because... I think that the way that they shot it wasn't very um, overly done, you know? it's I loved the, the kind of cuteness of the town and the Cape Cod styles, and even the set directors were saying that they wanted the homes to be bright and warm. They didn't want it to just be this depressing, awful, gray, snowy film, you know? Right. So I liked that. Um, I, I loved where it was set. Um, I think it fit perfectly. I, I could probably see it some other areas, but I do agree that I think it needed to be someplace where there is, you know, there are seasonal changes, and we do see that shift. Yeah, and like I said, I, I just don't think California, yeah. you know, is is the place where. Plus, you get that, you know, there 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 is something about there's something about the East Coasters, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're very set in their location. They don't move out. So yeah. some people. Born, raised, never, never venture. Some of them never get in a plane. Like the closest they'll go to is Cape Cod, sometimes New Hampshire, Maine, mm-hmm. but they don't venture that far away. For 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 Len to go to Boston to really get out, and he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying when it's, he says it's like an hour and a half from Quincy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he ain't getting with the traffic. Yeah, it could <laughs> suck getting up to Manchester by the sea. Yeah, and um, so I, I found that to be very interesting too. The other thing that I really liked is that uh, Casey Affleck and and, and, and and Kenneth Lonergan had discussion about the accent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Casey Affleck, let's see, what do he says? He goes, uh, you know, first off, he re- he researched the area, mm-hmm. right? And everybody has their character, their personality. Yeah. But Casey says to him, he goes, and while it's not like a Southie accent, which it's not, he says he just said. Casey said, no one talks like that under the age of 40, Kenny. I'm not fucking doing it. <laughs> and then not two hours later, some 12-year-old boy was on set, and he was like, oh, my God, is that is that Casey Affleck? <laughs> and I just thought that that was – and from there he goes, 
that kid's well under 40 years old, yeah. Casey. You're using, the, you're using your accent. And, but that is so... That's another thing, too, about this movie. When I see movies that are set in New England, period, mm-hmm. sometimes that accent, if it's done improperly, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Like, nails on a chalkboard, but everybody, like, really nailed it, you know, from Gretchen Maul to Kyle Chandler, who, again, I should mention, who plays the brother. Yeah. He was really, really good. Yeah. Kyle Chandler was fantastic in this movie. And, again, everybody seemed to get the flavor of Manchester by the Sea, this little town. Yeah. I, there wasn't anybody that I go that I would I cringed. Yeah. There are some movies where I see that are supposed to be set in Boston and New England, and I just cringe yeah. at the accent. I think everybody everybody did was great. And I know Michelle Williams um, said that before the film started, she would just take the train. She lives in New York, so she would just take the train uh, to Boston or to Manchester by the Sea and just kind of sit in cafes and go to the mall and just kind of see how people do life there and right. what kind of the mannerisms are that people use. So she said that was one thing that she was very, uh, you know, dedicated to before the film started right. is kind of figuring out how people really are to, to stay true to the character. And it, it probably helps to Casey Affleck is from that area. So it's probably good yeah, that I mean, it, he kind of has some sort of familiarity yeah. with, with it. So yeah. that was nice. And, and, and again, I think it just adds to the... I think it adds to the flavor of this movie. And again, it just goes back to me. It, it just It's a character mm-hmm. in this town that you're not going to, again, maybe upstate New York or something, that it really fits into this movie really well. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, you know, I really uh, appreciated um, how, how that all came together. Um, you know, I really do like that. Again, from a production standpoint, didn't take long to to, to film. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the Hollywood Reporter, an article I found on the Hollywood Reporter is about eight point five million dollar budget. Not bad, um, you know, which is you know very reasonable. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Again, this is a roadside attraction movie, which is a subsidiary of Lionsgate Films. They mm-hmm. fall under that umbrella. But you know they're not going wide with this movie. They're they're, right. they're letting it they're 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 letting it roll out. They're they're letting this buzz catch on so that by the time we get to Oscar time, there'll be enough fervor. And you know I'm gonna, I, I see this movie anywhere between at you know the end of the day five hundred to a thousand mm-hmm. locations, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Um, and I really really you know this too is again where. It was going in festivals. Uh, I believe the National Porter Review just named it Best Picture of the Year. Um, You know, the buzz on this picture... There was a. There's been a great groundswell. Yeah. So and it's original right. as well. I had to really hunt for it to find a theater that was playing it. I was yeah. I was kind of shocked when I. Me uh, too. I had seen it, you know, kind of just in ads and and a couple trailers. I think when I'd been up to other movies, and I went when I was going to go see it. I looked at my local theater that I see all my movies at, and it wasn't there. And I'm like, wait, did I miss it? Is it not out yet? Is it already passed? What's happening? And I had to go, uh, gosh, I don't know, like 30 minutes away from where I normally go just to watch it. It was crazy. I had to, yeah, I wasn't playing at a theater near me, so to speak. Um, I think think it'll eventually get there. Um, So, again, it may not be, you know, you're checking us out now. You're hearing all the spoilers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, like I said, I think by Christmas time, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll, it'll have expanded and have gotten... 
this amazing buzz, which it's continuing yeah. to get. Now, um, talking about Casey Affleck for mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, his he talks about um, I found this uh, this article on Deadline Hollywood and, and he was asked, I think it's a really good question. You know, just your your reaction to your first pass at reading the script. And he's quoted as he goes, you know, it was one of those reads where you stop analyzing. He's like, sometimes you read something and there's a part of you that remains in an analytical actor place. And he's like, am I going to do this movie? Is it a good part for me? That sort of thing. And almost immediately I was just absorbing it. Like it was a piece of nonfiction, you know, some complete, you know, a complete piece of writing that was in and of itself a thing, not a blueprint to be built upon. It was complete. Mm-hmm. It says a lot to his writer-director, Kenneth Lonergan. Absolutely. And I think it says a lot about Casey Affleck, too. In a way, I, I like the question because from an actor's perspective, what's an actor thinking? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, they got to think, like, you know, obviously you... you, you I guess you would think, is this the right role for me? Is this going to help me? Is it going to hurt me? And Casey Affleck's career has been marred with, you know, he he will admit himself he's been in some bad movies that he hasn't, you know, even watched himself. But to be fully absorbed where that washes away the analytic side and to be brought into a script, you know, and to say, because this is a heavy, it's a heavy movie where you can't just be depressed all of the time. Yeah. And you have to like the character, too, mm-hmm. you know? And that, that's where I think his performance yeah. was amazing. Yeah. And I like that whole thought process. Yeah. I, I know he had said that they spent a lot of time, like months, talking about the script before they actually, you know, started filming, that there yeah. were long rehearsal periods, and he would spend time just talking to Kenny about what direction they wanted to go in. And Casey also said that uh, Kenny is the kind of director that's open to what an actor is going to bring. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not that type of director that says, this is my vision, this is what I want. He said, Casey said he has equal conversation about characters and that he treats all actors on set with the same dignity. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's somebody that uh, this, all the actors in this film, I'm sure felt very safe exploring Sure. The depths of their character yeah. because they had they had a director that was willing to support them on that, yeah. which is awesome. And and the other thing too is that uh, what I someone said, but I'll, in better words, for Casey, it's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. Like from from happy to joy, whatever. From happier to tragedy to sadness to depression. Um, and there is that balancing act. The other thing that I found interesting too is that you know there we've. On this show as a whole, recently, uh, if you if you pay attention, uh, there's been a trend in, in certain movies, particularly the smaller independent ones in which they're shot um, in order, mm-hmm. okay, in the order of the scene. Not in this movie. Yeah. So they really did have to do a balancing act. Um, and when you have zero money, less time, we had to just jump around. And it was important that, Casey says, that I keep in mind... That before um, that, that doing that, he had to be within character, but also within the post tragedy. There has to be its own terms of where this is um, and and where he has to get to. Mm-hmm. So, not filming in order, yeah. you know, uh, in trying to stay in character, um, you know, again, a very challenging act 
for for Casey and everybody else yeah. too. Everybody else around him. Yeah, you know, I be- think so. Absolutely. And just going off of that, uh, Michelle Williams. I didn't realize that this until after I saw an interview with her. But it's true that she's not in this film a whole lot. She's a huge character in the film, especially in Casey or uh, uh, Lee's life. But she's not in this film a whole lot. And she said that when she came on set, everyone had already was kind of working together, obviously, Casey and uh, Lucas. And she had to kind of come in and just do a cold read or cold scene. I think it was this one, actually. This oh. this main one was her first time on set just jumping in and, and doing it. And that speaks so much to her as an actress, you know, that I would not have guessed that that was her first day on set, just walking in and nailing that. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, I want to talk a little bit about Michelle Williams. Yeah. Uh, she bears talking about yes. um, her performance. Yeah. Again, you're right. She's not in this movie a whole lot of time. However, I think her performance, I think the character, the way that it's written, the way that it's performed, potentially could see an Academy Award nomination yeah. for this. But she is a character uh, uh, that changes. I mean, when we first see her, she's in bed, sick, mm-hmm. not looking the best, um, surly attitude, to say the least. Okay, you know they have the kids. They set this. They set the scene up quite well. When and after the tragedy happens, you know the fire happens. You know you can sense that there's trouble. Yeah. When, you know, Lee's trying to help her. Oh, number one, that scene, trying to get her into the ambulance. Oh. I, <laughs> I mean, in a Marx Brothers movie, it would be hysterical. In this movie, it was like just sort of kind of, it was very, it was well, uncomfortable. This is what I like... heard about this scene. And I, I saw this on IMDb, so I'm assuming that it's legit. But somebody said uh, the scene where the nurses try to roll the stretcher into the ambulance and they keep falling and they can't get it up. They said it was not scripted, and the act- the actors actually continued to struggle to get the stretcher in. It was actually happening in real time. They couldn't get the stretcher in, and uh, Kenny decided not to cut it and yeah. just keep it in, which is amazing. I'm like, yeah. I love what I love when I find out things like that, where it's like <laughs> that actually happened. That wasn't just planned. Those people were actually struggling getting her in. Yeah, and the wheels kept on dropping, yeah. and then Casey would keep on. Trying to reach out to, to, to Michelle. Yeah. And, like, she kept on... When, when she kept on batting his hand away... Yeah. Right from there, you can sort of sense, you know, things aren't going to really yeah. end well in this. That scene, this scene, this particular scene... Mm-hmm. Again, when she shows up, again, later in the movie, to go to the brother's funeral... Mm-hmm. She's a completely, she looks like a transformed person. Right. Her hair is not in disarray. She's beautiful mm-hmm. is, is a word where before, like I think, and, and I think this is done on purpose, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't, she had a cold, she's not looking good, you know, and I get it. But then when we see her at the funeral and then particularly in this scene where they accidentally bump into each other, mm-hmm. she too, she has become a different person. Yeah. And... What made the scene for me so gut-wrenching, there was a line in which she says something like, I feel like I should burn in hell for the things that I said to you. Mm-hmm. For, her to, for, 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 for those words to be chosen, and he writes, 
considering the tragedy that befell the family, yeah. burning and sort of saying, I should burn as well. I should burn in hell yeah. for what happened and the way that it was delivered. And she wanted to reconnect with him. And Casey's performance was, it wasn't one of anger mm-hmm. in this scene. It was sort of, a, it was it was very much of self-doubt, uncomfortableness yeah. of like, you know, I appreciate you saying that, but no, we don't have to. Right. Don't worry about it. And he really couldn't look her in the eye. I mean, this scene goes on in the movie for over five minutes or so. It's a really big scene. And again, I think just from an emotional impact, I can't think of anything I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. That was so emotionally impactful. Yeah. And if you didn't have the right actors, yeah, it just wouldn't have worked. And this right. is why I say she should get nominated. I think I think she should too. I think she was excellent in this film, and I think just speaking to her character, um, <clears throat> I, I noticed right off the bat when she resurfaced. You know, when we saw her again at the funeral, her her hair was the first thing I noticed. Right. You know, just. Wow, she looks different. She looks put together. She looks like she has her life together. But I don't think she changed that much. I think it was something where it was her exterior trying to hide what's happening on inside. You know, uh-huh. she's trying yeah. to use her appearance to kind of hide what's going on really inside because she did in this scene she did say a line um, to uh, Lee where she said something along the lines of my heart breaks every day or I think about it every day or something like that where you can tell that she maybe isn't that different than where she started but she's trying to put on appearances of like, hey, everything's okay, I'm going to be okay. And then when she runs into him, it's the first time that we see her just break down right. since since the obviously the fire happened. So I thought she was fantastic in this film in, in every scene. I, I just the uh, just kind of depths of her as an actress, you know, being able to kind of hit this scene and also the kind of funny scenes when she's yelling at Lee and just all these things, you know, I think I think she did an excellent job. And she has come a long way from Dawson's Creek, you know, <laughs> yes. to say the least. Yes. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And for again, so I guess ever since uh, Dom Judy Dench won the uh, Academy Award for uh, Shakespeare in Love, which she's only in the movie for like two minutes, yeah. like the first time, like ever. She, she gets best uh, supporting yeah. actress, I believe. Uh, if I'm wrong, somebody please correct me. If I'm right, hey, good for me. Uh-huh. Um, but she's in this movie a lot more than two minutes, right. but it is so impactful. Mm-hmm. And again, I also uh, appreciated uh, the way this movie was shot because it, 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 it plays with, with time because we see right. things in flashback, but we see them in a, uh, how do I, in a chronological flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which which I appreciated. And there were certain times where I was like going, why am I watching this? Like, why, why am I like, why are we watching them playing pool and partying up at the house? And it's like, oh, okay. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Everything had a reason, you know, in this movie. Right. Um, so... Michelle Williams was fantastic. The other person too, because I know that we talked about, um, I know that we talked about uh, Michelle Casey is the person that plays the nephew, um, mm-hmm. who Lucas Lucas Hedges. Yes. He excellent is amazing. Yes, and 
It took me a while. I had to look him up on IMDb, but he was in a really smart miniseries called The Slap. Mm. It was like, the hell have I seen this kid before? Again, he too was so good, and he played it so well that... And he played it from depressing to cavalier Mm -hmm. to, you know, him having his issues... And he he just he too had a very fine balancing act because yeah. there were times he had to be funny and then of course there's the scene in the freezer, mm-hmm. you know, and that scene was, you know, again a very emotional yeah. scene. And uh you know, and again the way he worked with Casey Affleck mm-hmm. was was just superb. Yeah. I thought, just, just superb. I thought he was excellent. And I saw an interview with him and he was speaking about that scene, uh, the freezer scene. And he said he asked, I don't know, I don't remember if it was Kenny or who he was talking to. How, as an actor, do you prepare for that? Like, how do you just break down like that, you know? And he said, there is no way to prepare. The, the way to prepare is just to do it, mm-hmm. you know? So just having that maturity at his age... And having that talent as an actor to be in that scene and just be looking for something to eat and then just completely break down. He said, you just have to start with a whale and then the rest the rest will come. I thought he was excellent in, in, in that scene and all of his comedic kind of sarcastic scenes. Yeah, I loved, absolutely. I loved the very first scene that we saw him in at, at the hockey practice, you know, where he's just like, oh, great. Like, here's my uncle. You know, just... Yeah. I thought the very first scene we saw him in kind of set up his character for me. Agreed. It was agreed. I, I loved him. I want to go. Yeah. I want to see more of him. Yeah, he was uh, not your typical teen. Uh, very strong, great actor. Uh, that scene in the freezer too, like by the freezer, we understand, you know, like why he's having yeah. this difficult time in the freezer. And again, Casey Affleck's like, look, I don't like it either. Mm-hmm. Nothing we can do. He's being fatherly, which I really appreciate about that. Yeah. He was just really solid. I see big things, you know, yeah. hopefully, again, I'm with you. I, I want to see him um, in more things. So he is a very talented young man. Mm-hmm. So look forward to watching him yeah. um, in some more things. So I want to talk about, you know, we, you know, we talked a little bit about Kyle Chandler. Again, not in the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I found it fascinating what I found most fascinating about his character, okay, is that most of the times when we were on the boat in the flashback scenes, okay, it was really focused with Casey and Lucas. Mm-hmm. Kyle was there, but he was in like the, what do you call it, the wheelhouse, the, the, you know, he was steering the yeah. boat. He was either in shadow, you, you rarely saw his face mm-hmm. except for a scene here or there. He was on the boat. But you couldn't see them, and I really appreciate that because that's what you're you're focusing on the relationship right. of uncle and nephew. But the scene in which um, Casey's, you know, Lee moves into his mm-hmm. uh, apartment, mm-hmm. and and Kyle's like, "Dude, you need furniture." He's like, <laughs> "He goes, no, 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 I'm fine." He goes, "Let's go out and get you some furniture." Yeah. You know, again, you really you said it earlier. The bond that they had, his brothers, he, you know, Lee, 
leaned on his brother. Yeah. Um, and he allowed his brother to help him. Yeah. Losing that, like, yeah. very impactful. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I thought that I wanted to bring up that scene as well um, when they move in together. When uh, Lee says, you know, I, I don't need furniture. And uh, was it Kyle says, you know, oh, he, he looks at Lucas or Patrick and he says, okay, let's let's go. And I thought at that moment he was saying, okay, I'm going to let you stay, Lee. You don't have to have furniture. I'm taking my kid and I'm going home. But instead he turns back to Lee and he says, let's go. And it seems like Lee, it, Lee only really listened to Kyle in this movie. Yes. You know, Randy a little bit in the beginning after she had to scold him twice, you know, she said, get these guys out. He didn't. She had to come back and say, get these guys out in in some more profane language. And then he finally (laughs) did, you know. But thinking throughout the movie, Kyle's really, his brother's really the only person that he really listened to, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And so I think that says a lot. Um, Speaking about that bond, and I thought it was interesting, or actually, you know, it's Joe Chandler, Kai, he has the same last name as his character. Right, he does have. <laughs> so his, he does. Chan- yes, yes. But um, I thought it was interesting <laughs> that the director Kenny uh, first saw Kyle Chandler as uh, the cop in Wolf of Wall Street, uh-huh. and he said he just his performance just jumped out at him because he played the part with such great humor as if he was amused with the quarry. So if anybody's seen Wolf of Wall Street, you know kind of the premise of that. But I thought that's interesting. I always like to see. Or hear when directors first see their the actors that they want in the film mm-hmm. and kind of what stands out to them. Yeah. So just seeing that uh, the comedic presence kind of sparked with right. Kenny, I think says something for kind of the, you know the film how it does have those moments in there. So I thought he was a great choice. I had not really seen him in in other uh, works of his, but I, I really enjoyed Friday that. Night Lights television. I did not watch that, but I know he was the main. The did main you? So, and you never saw Super Eight again. Um, very interesting because he plays a father, um, a single parent mm. um, who lost a wife to tragedy. Oh wow! And um, he's really solid. So, yeah. I mean, Super Eight actually is a very underappreciated movie uh, put up and directed by and written by J.J. Abrams. Um, But Kyle Chandler is, you know, he's he's a really good actor. He was in, uh, he was also in Peter Jackson's King Kong, but he can play a a bad guy as well. But he's, 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 he was really solid in this. And again, I'm going to say his accent, flawless. Um, (laughs) I thought he did a really good job. So I want to move over to something that, uh, we always talk about here in Anatomy because I'm a big uh, music uh, mm-hmm. score person. The one thing about this movie that I think for me where there might have been a little bit of disconnect, believe it or not, was some of the music cues. There were times where he went to like classical music mm-hmm. and it sort of kind of took me out. But um, believe it or not, um, a lot of this movie was scored by a mother-daughter act mm-hmm. um, from Manchester. Um Composer Leslie Barber sent him a short sent uh, um, a short piece for capella voices. She called the Plymouth uh, Choral, and he played 
he played it against the scene of Lee. Uh, it was the first thing we ever tried against the scene, and we never tried anything else because it just fits so well. And Lonergan later learned it was especially apropos for the story of Family Ties because the voices all belong to the composer's 19-year-old daughter, Jacoba. Wow. So, which yeah, I found very... Now, the choir stuff I found worked. Yeah. I thought very well. Um, you know, it's it was just very interesting how they worked. Uh, a lot mm. of this was set up on Skype, uh, recording in her dorm room, and the effect was to make it sound like the music was coming from a small space. Mm. Um, from inside Lee's emotional world, I also took great care to record all of... Uh, Jacoba's breaths, so you really got the sense of the person as if this is from a deep place. Wow. So, you know. Yeah, I had read that I, when I was looking at reviews of people. I a couple of times I saw that people said that they that like you said it kind of took them out a little bit. I was kind of on the opposite. I really love when that kind of music is in films. For some reason, it just it makes me feel it so much deeper. I don't know. It just I don't know what it is about it. So I. I was uh, kind of shocked that that was in there. I was not expecting that type of music for this mm-hmm. film. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. So when it happened, it was kind of, for me, a pleasant surprise. Uh, but I did see that that kind of critique from a couple people saying that it was just kind of, it didn't feel in like some, it In fit. some scenes yeah. uh, for me. But, you know, Kenneth Lonergan says there are many ways for a film to incorporate music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he favors one in particular, in his, and that is counterpoint is usually the way that I like to use it. Um, you know, it always feels right to have the music help you step back a little and look at the whole environment, not just the character's experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to say in this case, that's exactly what this movie did or what the music, I forgive me, what the music did in this movie. Um, so it was a very interesting, I really, I found that to be a very interesting, you know, thing that Lonergan, how he approaches, how he approaches score. Right. You know, it's because it's it's it could be so different for so many composers and who in who and how they pick, mm-hmm. you know, the, the composers. So, yeah. you know, and I appreciated that, too. Yeah. And I kind of think it's um, I know we'll, we'll also probably get into cine- cinematography a little bit. But I think looking back at, uh, you know, the music, it Kenny, I keep calling him Kenny like I know him. Right. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. My buddy Kenny. But buddy um, Kenny. Yeah. Kenny Lonergan. Yeah. Hey, he could be buddies with us after he sees yeah, us because maybe. he got nothing Call but high praise. Kenny. Nothing to- <laughs> Um But he said that he wanted, uh, you know, the cinematography, and I think it spills into music too, to kind of be understated. You know, he didn't want anything too crazy to take away from from the characters and to take away from the story. So maybe that's kind of why he did choose this kind of music, which is, you know, some people did kind of disconnect him, but he didn't choose anything that was kind of over-the-top crazy because he wanted us to focus on what was actually happening in in these people's lives. But You know, I have to, uh, forgive me for, I'm going to break the plane here, people, if if you're hearing a tearing sound... (laughs) That's that's being picked up by our awesome mics. Uh, that that that's my Boston Terrier, a dog tearing up a towel. He came uh, for so the movie. He, he came, know, yeah. He was, too, yeah, so. yeah. So he he came for this. Um, so that's what you are hearing. Uh, nobody is getting ripped apart, uh, except for a poor towel. So in any case, um, now, well, the cinematography I thought in this movie too, it really set. First off, I think it works with with Lonergan's script because 
One of the things that I had heard about Lonergan's script is the way he would describe a scene. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't just say Sea Town. He would describe the way the ice sounded cracking on on the boats. You know, he would say Manchester by the sea. He would use the town. It's the locale, you know, in a starry night. Um, So from reading the script, you got a great sense of what things are going to look and or sound like. And I think this gives a cinematographer an amazing approach to filming this movie. Mm -hmm. And the way this movie looked, too, it wasn't overly drab and or depressing. You know, the scenes with the snail, I had to say, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, got to go out and shovel every day, got to do the walkway, the driveway. But it was just a period of time. You know, it's a season. Mm -hmm. And... It could reflect what's going on. The topic, I think, was depressing enough. Yeah. But it didn't have to be... There could be really gloom in January and February in New England, yeah. you know, with the bad weather. But I think that, from a cinematography standpoint, the movie looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. I thought you it know. was beautiful. Just even opening up in the town when they're fishing, you know, and you could see the, the like, just gorgeous horizon of the, the water and, the, you know, the sun starting to come up. I thought it was it was beautifully done and then just learning more, looking into, uh, you know, quotes from the cinematographers. Everybody that worked on that did say, you know, that he didn't, Kenny didn't want anything crazy. They didn't want to have these, like, wide-angle shots and all this stuff going on. You know, they wanted us to just focus on the characters and the storyline and and what these people were going through. And and then I did like just seeing the shots around town, you know, the the different homes. And, you know, I I don't know. I just thought that every every shot was, I think, thought out and not in an overly done way. It was Mm -hmm. just very beautifully done. Yeah, and again, with budget limitation, too, you have to be a lot smarter. Editor Jennifer uh, Lame, um, you know, she, you know, had the task of cobbling together, piecing together flashbacks into our current stay, mm-hmm. into, you know, and making this resonate, you know. And she, interesting, you know, she goes, instead of using a visual device to cue the audience when the narrative was weaving from past to present, they moved in and out without notice. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, there was only, I, I guess at the beginning, I found it a little jarring. I was like, well, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And obviously, Casey Affleck's hair was a little bit blonder. It wasn't. And it, I was like, oh, okay, we're in the, okay, I get what's going on. But it just took that one scene for me to get into the cadence of this movie, right. to get into those beats. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, you appreciate that. Um going into it and not having to really beat us over the head because yeah. once once you see it you're into the rhythm of the movie and oh the other thing that I really appreciated about it too is that they didn't it wasn't overly used yeah you understand right, right? yeah yeah it, I agree it wasn't overly used it was used for when it had to be used key moments. Yeah. And then sometimes you'd go long stretches without having it happen. Yeah. And then there was a point in the movie where it never happened again. Yeah. And that was refreshing as well. Right. Keep going back and forth. Yeah, you I get know. a little tired. I and- agree. I agree. Sometimes I think in films, if it's not done right, it gets almost um, 
I don't want to say annoying, but kind of it's like a nuisance almost. You know, you're like, okay, wait, where are we and what's happening? And and I think, like you said earlier, I think was very um, a very good thing that they did where they did the flashback scenes, but they did it in a chronological order. Yeah. So it wasn't like we were flashing back all over the yeah. place. So we're like, okay, wait, is this before the accident, after the accident? What's happening? They did it in in a nice way to where we went back at certain times, but we knew we were for you know ahead of what we had seen the last point right so i thought that helped as an audience member kind of understand where we were at in, agreed in the scene, so. and it wasn't as if the flashbacks could have been their own movie right alone mm-hmm. they really were nothing mm-hmm. you know i mean they they only the the, the flashbacks really did serve mm-hmm. to build our characters right. for our audience to under to get a better understanding Absolutely. of why our characters are the way they are yeah. Now and they did tell their story, but they told it within the structure yeah. of Manchester by the Sea because it didn't end in a flashback. It didn't, right. you know, I, they were important for the way that it was told. Um, yeah, I just thought this is a movie in which flashback was used to mm-hmm. a plum. I, I yeah. thought it was fantastic. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk too about like you know sound um, as well. Um, the sounds in this movie, again, you know, it wasn't it wasn't over the top, but you didn't have to be. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to hear the rolling of an ocean during a nor'easter storm. Not the, I mean, there was snow, but I thought that the sound captured Manchester by the sea. Folks, if you're ever in the North Shore, if you're ever to go up to Gloucester, Essex, Manchester, you know, that is what that town would sound like. Mm-hmm. You know, you would walk through the town, you would hear the seagulls, you'd hear the rolling of the ocean. Um, you know, things actually, when it snows, things become a little bit quiet. Um, I thought the sound design in the movie was was, was yeah. very fantastic, too. I felt like a local mm-hmm. being a local yeah. i felt at home um i thought that they did an amazing uh job and even um we could talk about set design and lee's boston apartment getting at a specific sense of what he wanted to hear and hear and the characters to feel setting up that ap- setting up that apartment like what he says oh yeah it's 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 a you know it's a one bedroom he goes it's just a room. <laughs> He's yeah. like, come on, Lee, it's just yeah. a room. You need furniture in here. You really got a sense of where Lee is coming from, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He's, oh, I, I think another scene that was really great, when he was moving up to Manchester by the sea, when he was mm-hmm. moving into Manchester, his whole life fit in a box. Yeah, yeah. Like a box. Just took everything. Right. A box. Yeah, and I think so. that says a lot about his character. Like you were saying, how he said, "Oh, it's a one bedroom," and his brother's like, "No, this is just a room." But I think to his character, that didn't matter. That didn't occur to him. If if he did notice it, it, it wasn't something that meant anything to him because he was just so broken that it it wasn't anything that he seemed to care about. Right. You know, just like you said, he had everything in a box. He didn't need anything because he wasn't passion about anything he didn't want anything yeah. because he was so damaged yeah and 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 i have to too also uh forgive me uh another phobia. The, the 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 movie that lonegan had worked on before wasn't madeline it was margaret mm. margaret was this opus that he that he that that really set him in a hunk and i found it very very interesting uh found this interest uh found this article in variety um and 
he was asked, how does it feel to finally have the ordeal of Margaret behind you? And he says, it feels good to be further away from it. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be completely behind me, hmm. which I find very interesting. Quote, the whole experience covered about eight years if you had to include the whole making of the movie and then the problems with the movie and the saving of the movie. It was a big, big deal. It's a big deal to him. Yeah. So I don't even feel like it's entirely behind me. And I don't know if I really want it to be completely because I still really liked the movie. So much has happened since then that has nothing to do with the movie. So it's hard to answer that. And I just go back to that opening quote that I said again mm -hmm. about making a movie where things aren't really neatly tied up. You yeah. don't get over tragedy. Yeah. You know, the, the, this was a he's not over like what happened to this movie because mm -hmm. he expected so much more. And, you know, you always you hear writers, directors talk about the project as their babies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him, for what he had to endure to get to get Margaret out or, or yeah. get it made, obviously still resonates with him. You can't I sort of kind of see that writing this, although on a far more tragic level, yeah. you know, but you see where he's coming from like he can't get over it in a sense and he doesn't want to yeah and uh, i i just found that very interesting and it makes me wonder if it was if there was no margaret if he never set to make that movie mm -hmm. could he have done manchester by the sea probably not i i would i would put it out there and say probably not and i think that's why um you know moments that happen in our lives obviously what happened to Lee was on another level. Another plane. An, yeah. Altogether. Can't even. I, I'm not comparing. Right. No. But but any sort of hardship or, or, or any sort of tragedy, you know, on that kind of level that Kenny experienced, I think that quote, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it says something and adds to the character of, of yourself that you're able to do things and create works like this and create masterpieces like this that you did not have the experience of before. So I think that absolutely had something to do with this with this film and I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, think he would agree, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he would. <laughs> I, I would far, love but... to I would love to further explore because you know, it just hearing him talk about Margaret, like I'm just the way he talked about that movie, mm -hmm. what it meant to him and its loss and what he what he had to go through. I just wonder Wow, could you have been in a place to write Manchester by the Sea? Mm -hmm. Because he obviously has these emotions still within him yeah. when asked the question uh, by Variety about, you know, are you glad it's behind you? And he's like, well, it really isn't yeah. to an extent. I find that very, very fascinating. Um, so I just, I, what else? What else? Have we missed anything? Have we missed any detail? Have we, uh, was there something that, uh... Well, we could talk just quickly about the reception that it got, um, on Rotten Tomatoes. And that was one reason why I really wanted to see this movie, because it got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Absolutely. Which is huge, huge number. Um, audience score was 92%, so obviously a lot of people like this film, like you and I. Um, IMDb, it got 86 um, Critics' Choice Awards, already it's nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Young Actor, Best 
Acting Ensemble, Best Screenplay and Best Director. Mm -hmm. So it's getting a lot of accolades, um, obviously, and I could see why it was... Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to go into award season, and and haven't seen everything yet. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the next movie uh, that that is getting close to, or if not even more buzz, is this movie called La La Land, I'm which to seems see to that. be an antithesis to Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know, I'm going to say it here without even having seen La La Land yet. I think it would make a great double feature. See Manchester by the it. Sea, yep. and then go see La La Land to feel better about yourself. <laughs> but Yes, you're talking about reception, and thus far, all those accolades. Um, the movie opened up November 18th, and as um, we're looking at, it's it's done c- close to $10 million thus far. Um, it's it, it's doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it's. I think that the way this movie is being released. I think is the it's it's the smart way to do it. You know, you can't put this movie out in fifteen hundred, two thousand locations. Mm-hmm. People just aren't gonna go. Yeah. This is a movie that needs to ride a wave of of these accolades. Because mm-hmm. these are the things that, that'll get people um talking. The other thing though is it's an original story. Yeah. Which to me is refreshing within itself. And Regardless of its, you know, regardless of its subject matter, trust me, it's one that you can endure. Yeah, absolutely. It's one that you can endure because I, I just believe that the the family, like you know, Casey Affleck's character is trying to endure. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're they're trying to. He's trying to move on. Other people have moved on, and that's what this is all about. Yeah. And being comfortable with what you can, what boundaries you you, you can and can't do, um, you know, I think that that's amazing. I, I really do feel too that the the reception is going to carry this movie through the mm-hmm. holidays, mm-hmm. through the holidays into January, and I think Roadside has their work cut out for them because as things like the Golden Globes start coming out, you know. Uh, they're going to try to get this into more and more and more and more theaters. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I think this movie too, um, is definitely going to be one of those films that kind of gets spread by word of mouth. Sure. Because this is a film that obviously, at least for me, stays with you. You know, this is something that I thought about a couple days after seeing it, you know, and it's like just, it kind of resonates with you, the story, the characters, you think about them, you know, it's not something that you leave the film and leave, you leave the theater and go, okay, well, that's great. And then you move on with your life. Like a couple days later, I was thinking about Lucas and where his character would be. I'm so happy that you said that too, because yeah, the movie seeped in with me as well. There was a lot to think about, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, even, you know, it wasn't just the ride home, mm-hmm. you know, after, right. you know, you said you had a half hour ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just the drive home, you know, where I was thinking about this movie and, you know, my my, my knee jerk reaction was not as depressing mm-hmm. as I thought it was going to be. I did find elements of humor in it. And then I really started to think about case performance mm-hmm. and I started to think about storytelling 
all for the good of the show, of course, folks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? But it definitely is a movie that stays with you, mm-hmm. but not in a bad way. No. Like, I don't go... Whenever I think of Manchester by the Sea now, I don't think, oh, good God, that depressing I movie. Know. I think about it in a way of, wow, what an amazing craftsmanship. Yeah. What a great performance. And, geez, I might be able to see it again mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. Just to see, just to maybe pick up on other things right. that, that, you know, to get on second viewing. Yeah. That's the kind of movie Manchester by the Sea is in. I think that's part of the reason why it's been getting all the accolades yeah. that it's been Absolutely. getting. There was a quote that I think summed it all up for me. Um, one of the producers, Walsh, said "You know that this movie is about things don't always end neatly. There are right. hard knocks that come right. at any moment. Anyone can be disrupted. Anything can happen. We are all just players in the greater scheme. Yep. And I think that sums it up so beautifully for me and, and it has kind of helped me moving on past thinking about it. You know, I, I, I just think that kind of is exactly what this film is about. Yeah, agreed. 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 So, well, I really do think at this point we, we did reception, we've done sound, we've done uh, production, location. I think we hit everything. So I think we've hit everything. So why don't we start to wrap things up again? Final thoughts on on Manchester by the Sea. Loved it. I thought it was a great film, and just diving in deeper and looking at the backstory of it, how how it got made. You know, the characters behind, the actors behind it. Um, I have such a, you know, more of an appreciation for it than than when I first saw it. Um, I think it was a great film that, like I said, is going to stay with me. It's not going to be just done after this. I'm going to keep thinking about it and thinking about the characters. And I think that's what really makes a good film when it kind of stays with you. And, and you, you, Yeah, it resonates with you. You learn something about yourself or about life. Um, so I loved it. Big fan. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I'll say, you know, not every movie has to be that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when they are that way and they're able to do it in a very thoughtful, um, artistic, very wonderful manner. Uh, yeah, it, it is special. I do believe that Manchester by the Sea is a special movie. What do you think about Manchester by the Sea? What do you think about our breakdown and analysis of it? Please feel free to comment uh, on YouTube or ping us. Um, uh, stay tuned to Anatomy of a Movie, too, because we still have the rest of this holiday season and more movies to talk about. Emily, thank you again. Thank you so much fun. For being here. It yes. really is. Yes. You, you, you know, you're, you're tremendous, and thank you very much you for your well. insights. Thank you. Very kind <laughs> for saying so. Uh, where can people support you on social yes. media? You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at OMG, it's Emily. And you can support me on Twitter at DMovies1701. And again, please feel free. This is a discussion about movies, folks. This is uh, why we're here. We want you to be a part of it. Let us know what you think of Manchester by the Sea or any other movie that we've dissected and talked about on Anatomy of the Movie. Next time, until next time, we'll see you. Uh, we'll, we'll see you at the movies. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.